Good morning and welcome to Shelby Bible Church. We are so glad that you're joining us live again today. We want to continue to encourage you to connect, grow, serve, even though you're at home. We're going to be continuing to go live Sunday mornings at 11 a.m., Wednesday nights at 6.30 p.m., and then for the ladies on Thursday nights at 7 p.m. We're also adding two new lives this week. So for Fuse Kids, we're going to be going live Sunday afternoons at 2 p.m. So grab your kids, hop on Facebook, join us as we go live. If you miss it, it's okay because we're going to post it to Facebook and the church website after. We're also going to be continuing to post resources for you to do with your kids throughout the week on our church website. So make sure you take a look at those. And then Tuesday nights at 7 p.m. we're going live for Fuse students. We're going to be live for about 30 minutes and then after the live we're going to hop on Zoom and we're going to have a small group. So if you or your students aren't signed up to receive Remind messages, make sure you text Pastor Caleb so that you can get those because he's going to be sending out the Zoom link via Remind. We also want to encourage you to continue to give. You can give online at www.shelbybc.org. You can also give on the church app or you can text SHELBYBC to 77977. So that's SHELBYBC to 77977. We're so glad you joined us today, and we hope you're encouraged. Good day in the Lord's house this morning, and I uh, appreciate you tuning in again on a Sunday morning with us here at the 11 o'clock hour, and uh, I think we're in our sixth week now, and uh, as we walk through this together, and again, appreciate all those that are making this possible for us. And we've got a full Sunday for you with a few other uh, additional things that will be happening. I'd like to share a couple things with you later on in the service today. But as we get started this morning, we want to join together in a word of prayer. And then we're going to worship together. And I hope you're ready to do that. Let's pray together and ask the Lord to tune our hearts to worship this morning. Father, uh, we understand that our week has been uh, full of many things. Uh, Lord, no doubt many find themselves isolated and discouraged. Others find themselves busy and uh, torn in different directions and without the normal resources at hand. And Lord, we know that you've got all this in your hands and you're under, you've got it under control. And yet, Father, so often in the midst of the moment, we can find ourselves fearful. We can find ourselves frazzled. But Father, right now, with all of that uh, in the week behind us, Lord, we ask you, Father, that you would still our hearts this morning. Lord, settle our minds and our hearts as we turn our attention to you and lift our eyes up in worship this morning and our voices in worship. Lord, we just ask you that you would bless all that happens in this service today. Be with our people. Lord, I pray, Father, that you'd reach out and comfort them. Lord, I pray, Father, that uh, through this technology that you'd be able to draw them in to a time of worship together as we lift our voices here and sing, and they do so at home. And then, Lord, as we open the Word of God together, that, Lord, your name would be magnified, that your Son, Jesus, would be lifted up. Uh, Lord, may we preach Jesus this morning in power and clarity, and Lord, may his name go forward. And Lord, we'll just praise you for what you're doing, praise you that, Lord, for some reason you've seen fit to reach down and use sinners like us, and Lord, we just give you the glory for all that you do. And it's in the precious name of Jesus we ask it all. Amen. Amen.
this morning and looking forward to some more music here to come uh, before the sermon and also afterwards. Um, we've done something just uh, in the last couple of days here. I thought it'd be nice for you to be able to see some of our deacons and uh, their wives and just have them greet you. And so we've asked them to make just a little short greeting uh, just to say hello to you and let you know how they're doing. And so we're going to put that on for you this morning. This morning we're going to hear from the savages, all right? Hello, Shelby Bible Church. This is Paul and Rita Savage coming to you live and direct from the Savage Ranch in Shelby Township, Michigan. Uh, we wanted to just take a minute and let you know how much we miss seeing you all. Uh, it's been difficult not being able to be at church these last several weeks, but we have enjoyed uh, watching our services and listening to the music on Facebook Live, which has been pretty cool. Um, we've been keeping busy, so I retired as of April 14th, and of course I've been playing golf and fishing and just got back from Texas visiting my friend Ross. No, not really. We've been home, and uh, but keeping busy, doing a lot of yard work. We've been driving through Stony Creek Metro Park and counting deer. I've been taking responsibility for making sure we have groceries in the house and so Rita can cook some wonderful meals and chocolate chip cookies and all those things we like to eat. But we are missing you and uh, looking forward to the time we can get back together. Yeah, we've just been trying to uh, be productive every day, and I'm still working from home. I'm a school secretary, so trying to help with the online schooling that's taking place. And we've worked in the yard a lot, and yeah, the deer, and our big event for today, which was exciting and new, was my grandson turned 10, mm -hmm. And they live in the adjacent subdivision, and so we were part of six cars that drove past his house and honked the horn and yelled and sang to him and stayed a very safe distance. Uh, but the grandparents, we all enjoyed seeing our grandchildren and making a memory he will never forget turning 10. So that was special and it felt really good to see our grandchildren. It's very helpful during these times to see our people. So we're missing our people. Yeah, yeah. Thankful for technology. So we're praying for you all and very excited about getting back to with you guys uh, sometime in the, the future. Hopefully not too distant. God bless.
appreciate you doing that, Brother Paul and Miss Rita. Appreciate you guys giving us an update of what's going on with you, and we are praying with you as well. And we want you to know, Shelby Bible Church, that you know, if we could pick what would be happening, this would not be it. Um, and it is our heart and my heart as your pastor to want to see us gather back together as a congregation. Uh, but we understand that uh, wisdom and even love of our brother is going to keep that at somewhat of a distance from us right now. And we know, of course, the governor extending things to the 15th in the middle of next month and us having to consider what church looks like over the month of May. And then if we do phase things back in, how do we go about doing that responsibly uh, with wisdom as we walk as a church? And so I just want you to know that the deacon board and the pastors have been meeting. We spent uh, a little, uh, several, almost over an hour uh, on this last Tuesday night at our deacons meeting speaking of this very subject of how, what happens and how do we phase this back in. And we're kind of looking at a phased approach of kind of like what our president has laid out of walking back into this a little bit at a time. And we kind of feel like the restrictions will be lifted a little bit at a time as we walk back into it as well. And so as we do that, we're just asking you to pray with us for wisdom on that. Uh, we're currently planning to meet on May 5th, and we're going to sit down again as a deacon board and address what this looks like. Some of this is contingent upon knowing what information, uh, uh, what information we have. How soon will these restrictions be lifted? What will they look like? Uh, what will our local governments expect from us and that, of that nature? And we're trying to walk through this with a Christian conscience and considering our testimony in the community and also considering our love for you and for those that are at risk inside our, inside our church body here. And so just asking you to give a prayer for us, uh, if, if, if it was possible to do so, I would love to have you all here this morning and to be able to see you and put my arms around you, hug your neck, shake your hands, walk up and down the aisles and give high fives to the kids. And I'm looking forward to when we can do that again. Uh, but just pray with us that God would give us wisdom. You know, as we know, we've been communicating through the live stream now for six Sundays, and uh, we see this as a continuing part of the Shelby ministry here, Shelby Bible Church's ministry, of continuing a live stream. And it's going to be something we're going to have to do uh, from now on. And we feel like it's something that we should include and even invest in. In that regard, I've been talking with the Mike, with the Brad, and the men who helped make this happen uh, from our PA booth. And we've, we've found some cameras we think that would improve our live stream experience. Uh, they'll allow us to get a couple more angles inside the room as well and uh, give us some optical zoom and all the things that we need to be able to do that and be able to control it from the PA booth. Um, and so then as I've called through the church, many of you have asked, how can we help? And I can sense the frustration at times of being there at home and there's nothing you can do. Well, now I have an action plan for you. Uh, we need to raise about $4,000 to purchase this equipment. And that doesn't include the installation and all that stuff. That's so much volunteered by our trustees and our deacons who labor to make so much of this cost-effective for us. Uh, but $4,000 will purchase our equipment, and, uh, and our men have volunteered to take the time to install that over the months ahead of us. And so if you could help with that, what we're asking you to do, in addition to your regular giving, uh, we want you to continue to give regularly as your tithes and offerings come in, and you've been faithful to do that. But if you can give additionally to this camera, $50, $60, $100, whatever you could do toward this, uh, or maybe the Lord lay upon your heart to do a large gift uh, toward getting this done, um, then I want you to go and as you give online, you can give online and there's a comment section below where you give and you just write other in that comment section, write camera. And we'll know that's going to the uh, cameras that we're trying to get installed in the church 
uh, for the future. You can make that comment section camera as you give online, or if you're mailing your offerings in, you can just put it in the, on the envelope that you're giving to the camera and how much, and that'll go directly to purchasing these cameras. And so we'll give you an update next week of where we're at on that and how much money we've raised over the week. I'd like to see us raise this over the next couple of Sundays and be able to uh, move forward on getting this equipment purchased and then installed in short order. Uh, we feel like uh, if you could see the setup right now, we've got the camera set up in kind of the middle back of the room, and we've displaced about 15 or 20 chairs to make it happen and to give a little better experience uh, on the camera. And so we're hoping that with this, we can get those seats back and not have such a displacement uh, when all this comes about. And so we so appreciate you. We love you dearly. Appreciate your willingness to give. And so as we labor together, this is one way you can participate in it. I'm going to ask you to pray for us for wisdom of what that plan looks like. And then if the Lord lay upon your heart to give toward the purchase of these cameras, uh, that'll be an extra blessing as well. We love you. God bless you. And we're going to have a special this time and then the sermon.
Amen. Powerful, powerful. And what a great song. It is well with my soul. I hope this morning it is well with your soul. Let's take our Bibles and go to the book of 1 Kings chapter number 18. 1 Kings chapter 18 as we continue through our series on faith in the famine. And um, I uh, had prayerfully considered whether or not we should continue through the life of Elijah for another week or two and thought maybe we would pivot from here and go to another lesson on this subject of faith in the famine. But as I began to look into this text again and reminded of the scope of it, I feel like we're in the right place this morning. Uh, We want to read a portion of this chapter in chapter 18, and we're going to read verses 32 uh, down through verse number 39. And so we'll read 32 through 39 this morning, and uh, we'll just read that portion of it. And then I'd like to come back and give us just a sweeping narrative of what's taking place in this chapter, and then draw some applications I think we can take for a New Testament church this morning. And so if you found your place there, let's stand together as honor of the Word of God, if you so choose to do so with me, and we'll read verses 32 down through verse number 39 of 1 Kings 18. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and made a trench about the altar, as great as would contain two measures of seed. He put the wood in order and cut the bullocks in pieces and laid him on the wood and said, fill four barrels with water and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. And he said, do it the second time. And They did it the second time. And he said, do it the third time. And they did it the third time. And the water ran about the altar and he filled the trench also with water. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Jacob, and of Israel, let it be known this day that thou art the God in Israel, and that I am thy servant, and that I have done all these things at thy word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God, and that thou hast turned their heart back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice, and the wood and the stones and the dust, and licked up the water that was in the trench. When all the people saw it, they fell on their face and said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we ask You that You would take uh, the words of this text, that, Father, You would use them to admonish Your people this morning. Father, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, a heart to believe. Teach us this morning to value your word with our attention and the attention it deserves. Work in us and through us, and in the precious name we ask it all. Amen. You can be seated if you would. Um, As we continue with our series on faith in the famine here, uh, the famine that Elijah has just come through and is not quite over yet, we know the story, how he approached in chapter uh, 17, he approached Ahab and told him it would not rain until he said so. We're told that it's about three and a half years that this famine goes on. He is sent to the brook to be fed by ravens and drinking water from the brook Cherith. Then he is sent to the widow's house. He goes into the widow's home and the meal and the oil is sustained there miraculously. And then God uses ministry in the midst of the widow's house as well to demonstrate his goodness and his power even in the midst of heartache. And now God is using all of this, and this all is a picture trying to show Israel something, 
that they are a land in famine, not a famine just of water and of food, but a famine of the Word of God. They are dead in need of a resurrection, but Israel doesn't realize it yet. And so when we open chapter 18, we see I've broken this down into eight scenes or eight stages of the chapter, and it's a scoping story here that covers just a short amount of time, really. Uh, We're not talking many days in this chapter, but there is a lot that takes place in this short amount of time. When we think of the famine that they're going through, I think oftentimes we wonder, uh, and I can imagine Elijah wondering, what is tomorrow going to look like? What's the next day going to look like? And he's wondering these things. And let me just remind you that grace is often like the manna of the Old Testament. The manna fell on a daily basis, and there was enough manna for that day. Uh, God doesn't always give us grace for tomorrow. He gives us grace for today. And it's the grace to endure today, and it's walking with him in the presence. And Elijah did not have grace to confront Ahab at chapter 17 midway through. It's not until chapter 18 now that he has grace again to confront Ahab. And God gives him this instruction. He's following and obeying God's word. And so I've broken it out this way, and I'll list these for you. We see God's plan Then we see Ahab's plan. We see Obadiah and Elijah meeting, Elijah and Ahab meeting, and Elijah and Israel meeting. And then we see Baal is put on trial. And I like this term, God is put on display. And then finally we see send the rain. And God is going to bring an end to this famine. He's going to pour out rain upon this nation. And I would remind you again that when we see these symbols that take place in this text, It's important kind of to put them in perspective. Fire is often seen as the presence of God, yea, the judgment of God. We see God pouring out his fire upon the altar way back in the book of Exodus, demonstrating that God's judgment fell upon the sacrifice. We see him pouring out his rain upon his people. And throughout the Old Testament, we see the early and the latter rain uh, as a sign of God's blessing upon his people. So we see these symbols in place here. And so let's look at God's plan in verses 1 and 2. And we see he tells Elijah, and I'm not going to read every one of these verses here. I just want to give you the summary of it, and I hope you will read it later at your leisure and as you study through this text. The word of the Lord comes to Elijah, and it's in the third year. He says, I want you to go and show yourself to Ahab, and here's what God says, I will send rain upon the earth. Aren't you glad that grace is not dependent upon man? That grace is dependent upon God. God has already said, I'm done, I'm going to send rain. He didn't say if Elijah responds or if Ahab responds in the right way, I'll send it. He says, I'm going to send rain. And so he sends Elijah to him. I think it's interesting that Elijah has spent the last three years hiding from Ahab, and now God says, go confront him. And so Elijah is boldly going to go. He's going to go and confront him. And Elijah, the Bible says in verse number two, that he went to show himself unto Elijah. And we see this phrase here, and the famine was sore. Uh, There was a sore famine in Samaria. It was a hard time. So we see God's plan. God sends Elijah to tell Ahab, hey, the rain's coming. So what is Ahab doing? Ahab's plan now is he's gathered a group of men together, one being Obadiah. And I like Obadiah. The Bible says that Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. He was a man who loved God, and he had taken and hid a hundred prophets from Jezebel. 
prophets of the Lord that would have been killed, but Obadiah does what he can to build almost an underground railroad to hide these men away so they could not be killed, and he's feeding them with bread and water. And Ahab has him as one of his governors, and he says to him, Obadiah, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go look for grass. We're going to go find some watering holes that might have some grass around them, and we can feed a few animals, and maybe all the cattle won't die. I think it's funny that things have gotten so dire that the king himself is leading around cattle looking for grass to feed the animals. And yet, even in these dire straits, Ahab has no desire to turn to God. Even in these dire straits, we don't find Ahab falling on his face and seeking God. No, he's seeking grazing land. He's not seeking God. I wonder how often we as believers, and even those of you that may not know Christ, you found yourself seeking solutions to your problem other than God. Let me say this morning, the solution we need is the Lord Jesus Christ. The solution to our marriage is not a better spouse. The solution to our children is not better children. The solution is the Lord Jesus Christ. And too often we're looking for substitute solutions or something that'll just get us by for a little bit longer. And what we need is a resurrection. What we need is rain to fall from heaven. So Obadiah goes on this journey and he's looking and it's kind of an interesting conversation when Obadiah and Elijah meet. Elijah shows up almost like in the middle of the road and he's like, hey, here I am, Obadiah, go tell Ahab to come talk to me. And Obadiah goes, hold on a second, man. We've been looking for you for three years, and then all of a sudden you show up out of nowhere, and I'm supposed to run off and tell Ahab that you're over here. He said, just as soon as I get over there to tell Ahab, God's going to pick you up and take you somewhere, and then Ahab's going to be mad at me, and I might even get killed because I told him you were over here. And he said, no, I'm not going anywhere. Now, I mentioned earlier, Elijah had been running from God for three, or running from Ahab or hiding from him for three years, and now he's ready to go, and God is sustaining him in this moment to stand before Ahab. You know, it's interesting that we find the Apostle Paul all through the New Testament doing the same thing, and that's why I remind you again, grace is not for every day, it's for today. Some days, the grace that we need is to be lowered from a basket out the window and get out of town. And other days, it's grace to stand before uh, Caesar himself and proclaim Jesus. And here God is giving Elijah grace to stand before him. And he makes this statement. He said, I will show myself unto him. Elijah is not hiding and God is calling for this meeting. And so Elijah is boldly going to go and stand before Ahab. So Obadiah goes and gets Ahab and Ahab and Elijah now meet. Now mind you, this is the last time they met. Elijah gave really bad news to Ahab. Last time he met, it wasn't good at all. And I don't even think Ahab really understood when Elijah left the throne room that day the implications of what Elijah was saying. He just said, hey, it's not going to rain until I say. And it's very possible that Ahab just looked at him and like, yeah, whatever, man. Because a famine doesn't take root until several months after this. It doesn't really get heavy for a long time after Elijah's message has been delivered. And it's very possible that Ahab flippantly disregarded Elijah. But at this point, he's not disregarding Elijah anymore. It's interesting that when the need gets greater, the messenger becomes more relevant. We as a church can look and almost say at times, we need to figure out a way to be relevant. And I'm not by any means against trying to figure out a way to connect with our community where they live. I think we need to be... uh, thoughtful and, and, uh, and innovative at times to connect with the world that we live in and be aware of the world around us. But let me remind you that Noah 
was very irrelevant for a hundred years until it started raining. And when judgment began to fall, then Noah was the most relevant person. Let me challenge us today that in a gracious and a humble spirit, your message of the gospel today is the most relevant thing that your neighbors need. When they're in fearfulness and they're in uncertainty, there is a rock that is higher than us and we can plant our feet upon that and we need to be the messengers to those around us through social media, through the phone calls that we make, through the interactions we're able to have. Let us not fail to understand the gospel and its message is always relevant. We need not alter the gospel to make it relevant. God alters the circumstances of Ahab's word, so Ahab sees the relevance of it. But Ahab's still not ready to repent. He meets Elijah in the road, and I love this. Elijah and Ahab meet face to face for the first time for three and a half years, and he says, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? That's what Ahab says. Oh, you're the one that's given Israel the hard time. Isn't it interesting that he immediately wants to blame somebody else for the mess he's created? He immediately points his finger. It's kind of like a kid, you know, when mom and dad comes to you and tells you to clean your room and you get mad at them. Well, they're not the ones that messed it up. You're the one that messed it up. And here, Elijah, he's coming and he's pointing a finger as like so many of the Old Testament prophets did. Nathan, one of my favorite Old Testament prophets, is he points at David and he says, David, thou art the man. Elijah comes in, he says in verse number 19, or 18, rather, he answered, he said, I have not troubled Israel, but thou and thy father's house, and that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and thou hast followed Balaam. He calls him out, he said, no, I'm not the problem with Israel, I'm just the messenger. You have been the one, and your father's house has been the one to pull Israel into the condition it is. I love the boldness of Elijah when he meets Ahab. He's not withering from the moment. He's standing there in the moment. And he says, and what's more, you've got 450 prophets of Baal. I'd like to meet them as well. You talk about stacking the odds against yourself. Here Elijah is by himself with maybe the king and a small entourage of men. And now he says, and by the way, go get your other 450 prophets and bring them. We're going to meet on Carmel. And he said, and call the nation together and let's, let's have a test here. This is an epic moment in all of the biblical history. And I think many of us have read this and we've rejoiced at seeing God put to the test and God being on display. Elijah goes to Israel and he calls them out as they're gathered there. And I can see this place at Carmel as the people are gathering and uh, Elijah is standing maybe up on an elevated ground and he's speaking uh, to the group of people and he's saying to them, and at verse number 21 gives us the summary of his message, how long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. If Baal, then follow him. See, the message here was you can't mix worship of Jehovah with Baal. The nation of Israel had gotten to this place where they had a half-in, half-out mentality. And it was the sin of Jeroboam that had led them to this place where there was false idols built that they were worshiping, but they were doing so in, in the name of Jehovah, and yet they were still false gods. And now Baal had been brought in to confuse the issue more, and God says, no, I alone am worthy of worship. And Elijah is saying, hey, you make a choice. You make a choice. He draws a proverbial line in the sand. He says, you choose who you're going to follow. Just as Joshua had done when they came into the promised land the first time, he said, choose you this day whom you will serve. 
Who are you going to follow? And Elijah lays it down in front of them. What is their response? The people answered him, not a word. Not one word is responded. They stand there staring at him. And here Elijah then says, okay, let's put it to a test. Here's what we're going to do. You've got the 450 prophets of Baal. I want them to take a sacrifice and, and cut up the bullock and put it on their altar, and then they can pray to Baal, and I will do the same, and I will pray to Jehovah God, and the God who answereth by fire. He said, you don't put any fire under it. No fires are going to be put under this altar. And he said, but the God who answereth by fire, let him be God. He said, all right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to set it up. You have your altar over here, Baal worshipers, and you do all you can to get Baal to answer you by fire, and we'll set up an altar over here, and we'll let God uh, answer by fire. I'll ask him to do that, and the God that answers by fire, you'll see clearly who is God. Pretty dramatic thing that's been set before us here. The people hear this challenge put out, and I love the phrase, answereth by fire, and it'll come into play next week. The phrase answereth by fire means the God who begins to speak. The God who begins to speak by fire. All the people hear Elijah's challenge, and the people answered and said, it is well spoken. Okay, let's do that. Let's see what happens here. I've titled this next section, and you'll be happy to know we're on section six of eight, so we're almost there. This next section in our text is verse number 23 down through verse number 29, and this is Baal on trial. Baal's being put to death, or put to the test, rather. I'm observing these men as they're doing their sacrificing. They put no fire under their altar as they were instructed, and they took the bullock, and they had done all the normal things, and then the Bible says then in verse number 26, and they dressed it and called on the name of Baal from morning to even until noon, saying, O Baal, hear us. But there was no voice, nor any that answered, and they leapt upon the altar which was made. Again, they're pleading to a God that is no God, a God that has hands but cannot save them, a God that has eyes but cannot see, a God that has ears but cannot ear. They're leaping upon the altar and then about verse 27, Elijah comes in, and this has always been an interesting part of the text to me. Elijah begins to mock them, very clearly mocking them. And it came to pass at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, cry aloud, for he is a God. Either he is taking or is pursuing, or he is in a journey, or peradventure he sleepeth and must be awakened. He said, maybe your God's taking a nap. Maybe he's taking a vacation. Hey, cry louder. Maybe that'll work. Now, notice if you would, there is no lack of passion from these men. There's no lack of sincerity even from these men. There's no lack of commitment. These men are pouring out everything they have. Yea, in verse number 28, they cried aloud and cut themselves after the manner with knives and lancets till the blood gushed out upon them. Isn't it interesting to see that the gods of this world would take life? They would destroy life and suck it from those who worship. And yet the God we serve, he came that we might have life and have it more abundantly. 
Here they are cutting themselves and pouring out blood upon the altar. In verse number 29, and it came to pass at midday was past. They prophesied into the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. And look at the emptiness and the sadness of these next words. Neither, uh, and there was neither voice nor any to answer nor any that regarded You see, this morning, it is not the passion behind our faith, the sincerity of our faith, or the commitment by our faith that makes the difference, because these men were passionate, they were sincere, they were committed, and yet their God didn't speak. You see, it is not your faith that makes the difference, but it's the object of your faith that makes the difference. It is who my faith rests in this morning. It is who your faith rests in this morning. I'm glad this morning that it is not up to my fickle heart to make God great. It is not up to my weak hands to make God powerful, for God is powerful apart from me. He needs not any of those things to be the God that he is. And yet these men thought they would get God to respond, fail to respond. So we get to the end of this time and Baal has fallen flat on his face. Elijah said to the people, come near to me. I kind of picture the scene as this all began and the people had gathered around the altar of Baal as they were accustomed to do and the men started with the sacrifices and the, uh, the ordinances that they would do and all the false prophets were doing their thing and no doubt the people had gathered and they were looking on, they were watching with anticipation and waiting to see what was going to happen. But I imagine about six, seven, eight hours later, people would kind of begin to wonder. And some were sitting down over here going, man, what the, what's going on? Other people over here, you know, maybe playing a game of cards over on this side. Somebody over here is maybe doing something, selling some, you know, fish and some bread or something over on this side. The attention is definitely drawn away. Baal hasn't done what Baal, what they've asked Baal to do. And Elijah calls for everybody's attention. I imagine the priest of Baal even stopping what they're doing is Elijah calling to their attention. And all the people came near unto him. He quietly, in this phrase here, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. I've done some searching to find out what altar this is. Obviously not the altar that's in Jerusalem, for they're in Samaria. They're outside the city of God. Probably an altar that was built to God in the time of the judges is what best commentaries would say on it. It was an altar that was dedicated to the Lord and had been torn down had been in disrepair. I think it's interesting that he doesn't just say, okay, guys, move out of the way. Let me use your altar, and I'm going to call fire from heaven. But he walks away from their altar, and he goes over here, and he takes 12 stones, and he builds up the altar. And he builds up that 12 stones representing the 12 tribes of Israel, probably a reminder of what had been lost. We see this altar being repaired And I understand you and I today in New Testament Christianity, we don't worship at an altar. We've already had our sacrifice taken care of by the Lord Jesus Christ. But there is a beautiful picture here of repairing the place of fellowship, repairing the place of intimacy with God that I don't think we can let pass us by this morning. And I wonder how many of us that are believers have let our time with the Lord slip. Our time where we've come and said, God, search me and try me and know my heart. 
Maybe this morning we need to go back and repair the altar. Repair the place where we met with God. The nation of Israel had walked away from him and there was no more fellowship with Jehovah God. And here Elijah puts it together and he takes all these stones and assembles this altar. And now, as the altar is assembled, he says, all right, here's what we're going to do, guys. Let's get four barrels of water and pour it on the sacrifice. Do what? We're trying to get fire here. And you're going to take water and pour it on the sacrifice. No, not only is he trying to get fire and he pours water on the sacrifice, but they've been in three years of famine, three years of drought. And you're going to pour this water over this sacrifice? He prepared a trench around the altar so that the trench would hold the water that he was pouring on, and three times they pour four barrels of water on the sacrifice. I think it's interesting. I think Elijah, in by the instruction of God, is trying to make it very clear that if anything happens here, it has to be supernatural. This is no trick or sleight of hand that Elijah is doing. I think in the same way that our Lord laid in the tomb for three days, Three days and three nights, it was an evidence of the fact that he was truly dead. It was a testimony of the fact that he had died and that he now had risen from the grave and had conquered it. The same way Elijah had put this out of human reach. No man is going to set this on fire. No man is going to stir this fire at this moment. Verse 35 says, and the water ran around the altar and it filled the trench also with water. It came to task at the time of the offering, the evening sacrifice, that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel, and that I am thy servant, and that I have done all these things of thy word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God, and that thou hast turned their hearts back again. This picture of turning their hearts is the idea of almost grabbing the face and turning the attention back. Hey, look at me. Hey, pay attention right here. Elijah pours the water on the altar. He makes the prayer. And the Bible says in verse number 38, Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice, the wood and the stones and the dust, and licked up the water that was in the trench. When all the people saw it, they fell on their face and they said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Now I would contend to you this morning, the miracle here is not that God consumed the sacrifice, and that he consumed the wood, and that he consumed the rocks that were building up the sacrifice. The miracle here is that he didn't consume all of Israel. The miracle here is that God withstayed his hand of judgment on that nation at that moment because they were worthy of the judgment. So interesting that Isaac, just a few generations earlier, had said, here is the sacrifice and there is the wood, but where is, I'm sorry, here is the fire and here is the wood, but where is the sacrifice? And now we have the sacrifice, but where is the fire? It is God that would judge. You see, God is both judge and sacrifice. He is the one that pours out the judgment, and he is the one that takes the judgment. And here in this picture, we see that God withstays his hand of judgment upon Israel. And so what was on display? You see, the test here was not whether God could consume that sacrifice. The test was not that at all. The test was, can Baal judge Israel? 
Can Baal find, uh, can Baal be a God who shows mercy to Israel? Can Baal be a God who provides for Israel? And the answer was a resounding no, Baal can't judge. No, Baal can't show mercy. And no, Baal can't provide. Because only Jehovah God can judge a nation. Only Jehovah God can show mercy. And only Jehovah God can provide. And so we see God being on display here and showing out who he is. It is God that provides life. It is God that gives long-suffering to man. We see the rain falling in the next part of it as God pours out his rain on an undeserving people after the sacrifice of judgment, God pours out blessing. You see, these people are missing the point. They said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Why? They were impressed with the fire. They're impressed with the fire, but they're missing the sacrifice. You know, too often we can get impressed with the spectacular things that God can do, but the most impressive thing is that when the fire fell, it only fell on the sacrifice. And the message of the New Testament church today is that the fire, the judgment of God that fell the last time, fell upon the sufficient sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And in the midst of a famine of the word of God, that is our hope this morning. That God's wrath fell upon Jesus for us to escape. Baal is an insufficient God. And so, in conclusion this morning, only God can change a nation And only God can change a heart. God is turning the nation of Israel back to him to get their attention. But you'll find with me as you read through this text that that turning is of short-lived, very short-lived. They turn right back. They go back to doing what they were doing. God pushes things past our perceived ability so that it's clear that he's doing the work. Sometimes we might ask God how long And I think God would say, just long enough. Just long enough. So let me challenge us this morning. Let us seek God for who he is in the famine. But let me challenge you on this side. Don't wait for the famine to seek God. When things are harsh and when things are hard, it's very natural and human for us to run to God. And that is right and good. And let me say to you, if you find yourself in stressful moments today and you find yourself in a broken marriage or with children that have disappointed you, seek God. Seek him now. But let me say this. If you find yourself in a healthy marriage or with children that are obedient to you, seek God. Seek him now. Don't wait to the stress of the moment to seek God. He's available today. So church, families, marriages, let us seek him in the moment. As we think about this, we consider what fell from heaven in this. When we consider it, we see that fire fell and rain fell. These two things fell from heaven. Fire fell upon the sacrifice and the rain fell upon the people. And I see such a clear New Testament picture there. That God's fire fell upon the sacrifice of his son and his grace has fallen upon the people. And what a blessing you and I have this morning that as we walk through these valleys of the shadow of death, we fear no evil because he is with us. I hope it will challenge your heart this morning. Would you join me in prayer? Father, the word of God is so sufficient to speak to our situation and our hearts. 
And Father, as we continue in prayer this morning and asking you to do a work in us, Father, we can do nothing apart from you. Father, as we consider the fact that your judgment did fall upon the sacrifice of your son, and Father, we have been under the reign of your grace ever since. What an awesome Savior. Or may we not be drawn away by the glitter of false gods, by the worship of light things, by the pettiness of blaming God. Father, may we humbly give you thanks for your sacrifice and for your blessing. We'll praise you for what you're doing in our midst. In Jesus' precious name, amen.
folks, it's just a joy to have been with you this morning, and I hope what has been said and sung today will be an encouragement to you. Let me encourage you again to consider to give toward the camera fund. If you can do that, do it online. Remember to note in the comments, camera, and it will be greatly appreciated as we continue to walk this together. God bless you. We'll see you on Wednesday night for our Bible study at 6.30, ladies' Bible study at 7. And there's a list of these things that are available on the website and on our Facebook page of where you can tune in to join us. All right? God bless you.